Welcome to the Journey Church Podcast, where as a church, we believe that Jesus should be accessible to anyone. So if you're at home, work, or somewhere in between, you can have access to the weekend worship experience. We'd love for you to stay connected with us by visiting us at journeyorl.com or any social media platform using at journeyorl. Thanks for being with us, and we really hope you enjoy this message. Last week, we had Vision Sunday, and Vision Sunday is about casting a phrase and a word and looking forward to what God's going to do in our community. And every year, we do that by sharing a word. Two years ago, it was Don't Hold Back, and, and you guys raised a ton of money for what we believe God is still doing in our community. And last week, we said that the word of the year, even though we're not in December yet, this is our fourth year, so we said the word of the year is going to be, say it with me on three if you know it, one, two, three, renovate. That's right, renovate. Renovate is the word. And renovate for me was an important word because renovation implies demolition. Because the first step of renovating anything is tearing down what once was. And I believe that 2020, for a lot of us, was that kind of a year. It was when God tore down things in our lives. And we were mad when we saw the ground shake and the walls come down. But I came to tell you that the other half of that story is better than the first half. Yes, the walls came down in certain areas of your life. But God only did that because he wanted to build something new in your life. And he's going to build something new in your life. Come on, if you believe it, give God some praise. He's going to build something new in your life. There's going to be something new for your future. And so renovate is that word. Um, but there's an important part of renovating. There's something you need in order to renovate this year, in order to build the life that God has for you. And we're going to go into the scriptures today, and we're going to find that in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 through 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 through 6. Reading from the message version goes like this. The world is unprincipled. It's dog eat dog out there. The world doesn't fight fair, but we don't live or fight our battles that way. Never have and never will. The tools, somebody say tools. Put it in the chat, tools. What's up, online church? I see you. Tools of our trade aren't for marketing or manipulation, but they are for demolishing that entire massively corrupt culture. We use our powerful, I love the way Eugene Peterson, the author of the message version, put it, God tools for smashing warped philosophies, tearing down barriers erected against the truth of God, fitting every loose thought and emotion and impulse into the structure. We talked about structure last week, the structure of life shaped by Christ, our tools are ready at hand for clearing the ground of every obstruction and what and building lives oh we are in the business of building lives of obedience into maturity the title of today's message because it's what you're going to need if you want to get a, if you want to if you're going to want to get started in building your life is god tools god tools god tools cuz you got to have the tools. Amen. Well, how many people made goals at the end of 2019? Come on. Raise your hand. You made goals. in there. Come on. Keep them up. Come on. I want to see all the failures in church today. Amen. You set goals. You made goals. Come on. It's hard to keep those goals, right? It's like, I don't even know what my goals were last year. Pretty sure I made them, but I, I didn't write them down. 
Not me. You know, I've been writing them down. This year was going to be different. I always try and make 10 goals every year. I've been doing this the last two years. And I try and make sure that every goal is in a different area of my life. So I've got some goals, for example, for my spiritual life. I've got some goals for being a great dad. And I've got some goals for being a great husband. I want to be a better husband to Liz than I am already. And, and I, I do mean am already. But, you know, I want to be better. And, uh, and so one of the things I, I decided to do is I was going to speak her love language this year. Now, this is what you have to understand about my wife. She does not make her love language easy. I wish her love language was receiving gifts because that would be one, two, three. You know, like I'm on my way home from work. I see a rose from the guy in the corner. I pick up the rose. I come home. Love you. Her love language is not gifts. I wish her love language was words of affirmation because words is what I do, you know, and I could just lay some words on her. I'd be like, roses are red, violets are blue. You bad, girl. You sexy. Just like that. Just <laughs> drop it down like that. And she would feel the love and it would be great. But no, her love language is acts of service. If you don't know what that means, in other words, if you ain't sweating, she ain't feeling it, okay? <laughs> to show my wife I love her, I have to sweat. I have to work and do things around the house. It costs the most energy for that. And, uh, and so here was my goal this year. My goal this year was I was going to fix two things in the house every month. That was my goal, to show her that I loved her. And to God be the glory, it's been September, and I have not missed one month. Come on, somebody. Come on. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. And I, in the beginning, when the year started, I would tell her when I did it too. I'd be like, yeah, I just fixed the tub. She'd be like, don't tell me. Because if you tell me, then you ruin it. I'll notice. I'm like, okay, but, but notice, okay? Because <laughs> I'm only doing this because of you. And so my marriage goal was to fix two things in the house uh, every month. But my personal goal was to fix two things every a month in the house without calling my dad. That was, <laughs> that was my personal goal. I was really trying to get there because, you know, because I'm the son of a, of a contractor, of a handyman. My dad's been doing construction as long as I, I know him. And, and I try and solve these problems without him. You know, I don't want him on the front end. I want him at the end end because, like, every son, doesn't matter how old you get, you always want to make dad proud. And so I want to fix things and be like, dad, look what I did, you know. But, you know, it's been nine months. You know, I've called him a lot. I've called him a whole a whole, whole lot. And it frustrates me every time because he's taught me so much. Like, I have the right knowledge, but what I'm learning is that knowledge is not my problem. Like, the other day, we, we were putting a fence out. And so, and it was one of those long, of course, because Liz, actual server, she wants the, the hardest fence to build. So it's like, <laughs> it's like the harder the fence to build, the more I love her. So I just, this hard, super fence. It's so hard, we only built it on one side of our fence. This is a true story. <laughs> like, it's too hard to do the recipe, but I still love you. It's so hard. So I'm building this fence, and I, and I got the knowledge, and then finally I hit a wall, and I'm like, Dad, you got to come over and help me. And he comes over, and he sees me, and I've got this screw gun, and, and I'm, you know, screwing the nail, the, screwing the screw against, you know, the, the, the fence, and I'm pushing it in, and it's, it's taking, like, you know, three hours, and I've only got, like, one thing of the fence up. And he comes over, and he's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm doing what you told me to do. I'm, I'm fastening the fence to, you know, to the stick in the ground. I forgot what it's called. Don't correct me. But it's the thing. <laughs> and I'm putting it in, and, it, and it's looking good, and, but it's just taking forever. And he's like, why are you using a screw gun? I'm like, because it's faster than a hammer, duh. 
And he's like, no, 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 I don't know why you're doing that. And then he came over with this bad boy. You can see it in the camera. I'm going to put it on the screen. This is, this is a weapon. <laughs> gun is literally in the name. It's a nail gun. And he picks out this thing of air, a compressor. He goes, loud noise. He connects it to that. He puts in ammo. <laughs> and then he's like, pa, 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 pa. What took me three hours, he did in three minutes. And I'm so mad because it's like I've got the right knowledge. My problem was not that I didn't have the right knowledge or that I didn't have the right heart. My issue, my problem was that I did not have the right tools. But he's been in this longer than I have. He's been doing construction longer. So he's been able to accumulate a repertoire of tools, a collection of tools that I have not yet been able to formulate in the infancy stages of my construction abilities. I'm talking to somebody who's been trying to fix some things in their life for years now, been trying to get over some obstacles for years now, some problems, some struggles that you've been trying to adjust or, or, or get out of the way. The issue isn't that you're not trying. The issue isn't that you don't have the right heart. The issue isn't even that you don't know what to do. You come to church every day, you know what to do. The issue is that no one has ever given you the right tools. But if you have the right tools, you can get the job done. And I want to give you the God tools today because your problem is not the problem. Your problem is the tools. Every homeschool parent knows this. Let me rewind. Every parent, because y'all all homeschooling right now, every parent knows this. You have probably heard these four words more than you've ever heard these four words before in your life. How do I spell? How do I, and then there's a word that comes after it. If you're a good parent, you don't ever answer that question, right? Because you know that this word is not the problem. The problem is spelling. So when they say, how do I spell? You don't give them the spelling. You say what? Sound it out. <laughs> Sound it out. One, two, three, four syllables. Sound it out. Okay, you don't, you can't give them the answer because in a couple of sentences, there's going to be another what? Word. God will not answer the problem because if he answers the problem, he knows in a couple of days there's going to be another problem. So instead of giving you the answer to the problem, he'll give you the tools so you can solve your own problems. Those are God tools. I want you to know that your problem is not your problem. Your problem is how you handle problems. You got to find the tools to handle it right. How many people know that difficult people are not the problem? The problem is that you don't have patience in your toolbox. You got a sense of humor. <laughs> you got good looks. But you ain't got no patience in your toolbox. How many people know that critics are not your problem? The problem is that you are not equipped with an identity in Christ. And so you don't know how to measure yourself. You don't know how to measure yourself because you haven't been equipped with what God says you are. If you go to a good marriage counselor, I mean a real good one, they're never going to try and solve your problems. What a good marriage counselor will do is equip you with the tools to argue. They don't tell you stop arguing. They tell you this is the right way to argue. You know when you picked up that vase? <laughs> and, you, and, you, and, you, and you threw it across the room? Let's not, let's not do that next time. 
This is not how you argue. They try and give you the right tools so that you can still argue, but you can argue the right way so that your arguments don't destroy but build up. They're trying to give you the tools. You got to have the right tools to build your life. I'm just telling you, and you're in the right place today because church is not just a hospital, and I believe that. I believe church is a hospital where the sick come to get well. And church is not just a home. I believe that. Church is a place for people who are looking for a place to belong, coming to the house of the Father. I believe that church is a hospital, and I believe that church is a home, but I also believe that church is a Home Depot. Come on, somebody. It's a place where we're supposed to come so that we can be taught on how to use the tools in our everyday life. And I want to give you three tools today that I think are going to build up your life, that are going to change your life. No matter the issue, no matter the struggle, no matter the problem, if you can implement one of these three tools, I think they're going to help you. And I had so much fun preparing for this sermon because I got to, I love history. And then, you know, construction is kind of my DNA because of my dad. And so I got to study ancient uh, construction techniques, like all the way back to the pyramids. And the tools that I'm going to talk to you about today are not only tools that we use today, but the tools that we've used back then that have lasted thousands upon thousands and thousands of years. And I think there's some important symbolism in these tools. And the first tool that I want to talk to you today about is the plumb line. The plumb line. Pray for your pastor as he climbs his ladder, okay? The plumb line. Be like, he made it to four, but five, we're not going to be able to celebrate five. Um, the, plumb line. the plumb line. This is the plumb line. If you've, if you've never seen it before or, or done it before, uh, the plumb line is a weight attached to a string. And what you would do is you would go to the top of a building and, or you would climb a ladder and you'd get on the top of the ladder and you would drop a string. And this is important because the string is always going to rest at zero gravity, which means that the string is always going to form a perfectly parallel line, which is important when you're building a house because when you're building a house or a temple or a pyramid, you didn't know what straight is. And so you can take your piece of wood and you can put it right here. And you would line it up. You see what I'm saying? It's like, okay, what, what's, what's, and it would be plumb, not level, but what's plumb or what's parallel. And you would adjust it and you would go, okay, the wire's right here. All right, go ahead. Uh, fasten it now. Put it in now. It's, it's plumb. It's plumb. And this is important because if you try and build a house and it's not plumb, if it's just a little bit off, then the weight of the roof, it, first off, it's not going to look cool because your house is going to be like on an angle, okay? Like, like you live in a Dr. Seuss book, okay? There's that. But then on top of that, the weight of the roof, because the house is not plumb, is being put here on the metal, and the, eventually it will snap. The wood is its strongest when it's, when it's perfectly, perfectly straight. All right, so what does the plumb line symbolize in the Bible? Psalms chapter 33, verse 4 through 5 says this. By the way, that's how skyscrapers get so tall. They spend hours with those, with those, those build beams, and they got to be perfectly straight or else they won't get to the height that they need to get to. Psalms 33, 4 through 5, for God's word is solid to the core. Everything he makes is sound inside and out. He loves it when everything fits, when his world is in plumb line true. The first tool that God gives us to renovate is truth. Let me say it another way. Anything built on a lie will collapse. Any relationship built on a lie will collapse. Any business built on lies will collapse. Any philosophy built on lies will collapse. But anything built on truth will last. It will last. 
Listen, when I was single, I was single for three years before I met Liz, okay? Not a, not a kiss with another girl, not holding hands with another girl. And you're like, dang, Pastor JJ, you holy. Nah, nobody liked me. If someone was trying to kiss me, I'd have kissed back, okay? If somebody was trying to hold my hand, I'd have held that hand. There was just nobody around. Like, I was a sacrifice. Sacrifice was a sufferer. It was what it was. Suffering. So I'm just telling you, if you're single, your boy is your patron saint right here. I've been there. It was so hard. The only thing that kept me from collapsing during that difficult season was the truth. The truth. And you know what the truth is? Here's the truth. I am a catch. I am handsome. I am smart. I am funny. I live at home with my mom and dad. <laughs> Any girl would be lucky. <laughs> like, that's not true. I mean, I, I mean, it is true. I did live at home with my mom and dad until I was 21, but still a lot better than some of y'all. Anyway, um... No, no, it is truth that held me up, though, but that wasn't the truth. Here was the truth, that I didn't need a girl to convince me that I am loved, that I am desirable, that God has a plan for my life, and if she's not here yet, it's not because there's something wrong with me. It's because I'm not ready or she's not ready, but God's got a plan for me. I have not been forgotten. I have not been forsaken. The best is still yet to come. The truth will hold you up in difficult times. The truth, will, the truth will keep you standing when difficult moments come. Now, I hear what you're saying, but do we really need a tool for that? Right? Because, like, I don't think I need this string to tell me this, this stick is straight. Like, can't we just look at it and be like, yeah, that looks pretty much straight to me. I mean, it's resting on the ground. So the ground is the ground. I don't think we need the plumb line to tell me that this is straight. That's what I thought too when I told my dad that we were making the fence. And I was like, just put it in there. I was like, it looks pretty straight to me. It looks pretty straight to me. It looks pretty plumb to me. He goes, yeah, but you're making a mistake when you say that. I said, what's the mistake? He said, you're assuming. I said, assuming what? He said, you're assuming that the ground that you're standing on is level. I forgot that Florida has hills. Not mountains. We got little hills. He goes, but if the ground you're standing on is slanted, it'll always look straight. But it's not straight because the gr- here's what I'm trying to tell you. Truth doesn't come from down here. You can only find truth from up there. You don't discover truth at ground level. Truth comes from heaven. Come on, somebody. It comes from heaven. And so here's what you got to beware, because I hear people tell me all the time, well, you know, because, you know, my job as a pastor is not just to encourage people, it's sometimes to correct people and things like that. And they go, well, pastor, I'm just living my truth. Raise your hand if you've ever said I'm living my truth. Okay. Hey, I'll give it. Raise your hand if you've ever heard somebody say I'm living my truth. Now that you got your hand up, keep it up if you've ever said I'm living my truth. Hey, I'm all with you. I'm with you. You're living your truth. I get it. It looks true to you. But here's my question. What are you standing on that would make you establish that? What is the foundation of your truth? Or better said, where do you find your truth? Because you could be standing on something that's shifting, 
that makes it look plumb, but it ain't plumb. It ain't plumb because the ground is just standing on a level. Be careful when you get the truth about your identity from the opinion of others. Because the people who are trying to hurt you, they're hurt. That's why they're hurting you. Because hurt people hurt people. They ain't level. Be careful when you get the truth about your situation from your feelings. Because some days your feelings are up and some days your feelings are down. Your feelings ain't level. Be careful if you get the truth about the condition of our world from a politician. Do I even have to say it? Politicians ain't level. This is a good one. This will really help you out if you take notes here. Uh, be careful when you get the truth about this relationship from your last relationship. Well, he broke my heart. She cheated on me. So now every guy is bad. So now every girl is bad. That relationship wasn't level. You can't compare this to that. This is a new season. God's doing a new thing. Be careful when you get the truth about your God from your experiences. You can't look at your experiences and say, well, this must be God because this is what's going on. If that's the case, then yeah, you'll believe God is with you when things are going good. But what will be your verdict when things are going bad? You will say that he has abandoned me. No, 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 no. I will not draw truth from my experience. I will prophesy truth over my experience. I'm going to speak what the Bible tells me about my experience, about truth over my experience. And this is a real important one. Make sure that you don't get truth about your behavior from your peers. Well, you know, he's sleeping with her and they ain't married and they look pretty happy. So if that makes them happy, then I'm sure I could do it because then I'm going to be happy too. The only problem is they're on the ground. They're not level. They're not your plumb line. That's not who you adjust yourself to. Be careful when someone's cheating on their taxes and their business is flourishing. You know, they're talking about they claim it eight kids, okay? They're just like in the spirit. Like they got two, but they're just like naming other ones, you know, and just getting all the discounts. And be careful because they're not your plumb line. Can I tell you that we've got somebody who came from heaven to earth and what he did when he came was that he formed a line. And now that he has formed a line, here's our job, to align with his line. So my thoughts, I'm not trying to think like a human would think. I'm going to align my thoughts like Jesus would think. The way that I behave my life, I'm not going to align my behavior with what he or she is doing. I'm going to align my behavior with the way Jesus behaved his life. The way that I treat people, I'm not going to treat people bad because someone treated me bad. Mm -mm. I'm going to do like Jesus who died for his enemies, and I'm going to align my my life to his life. Yeah. We're not there yet. We're going to get there. We're going to get there. We're not there yet. You got to align yourself. Here's what the Bible says in 2 Timothy. This is how you equip yourself. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 through 17. All scripture is God, breath, and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training, and righteousness. So the servant of God may be thoroughly what? Thoroughly what? Equipped. Someone's like, I can't read that, Pastor. It's too small. <laughs> Thoroughly equipped for every good work. Here is your number one tool. Right here, man. Apply it. Let me give you your second tool real quick. As time is running, we'll, we'll fly through these next ones. Your second tool, uh, I was doing some history, and I saw the pickaxe, and I, I saw the hammer, and I saw the hand axe, and I saw the chisel, and I saw the saw. And I thought, man, these are a lot of tools, but I barely get through sermons in 35 minutes as is. So I don't think I can preach 10 points. And so God, show me what they all have in common, because these were tools that they used every day. And I, and I saw it. What they all have in common is that they were made with iron. 
And so I asked the Lord, I said, well, what's iron in the scripture? Proverbs 27, 17 says this, as iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. The second God tool you need to build up a life, you need friends. You need friends. I'm going to preach with this act just because I like it. <laughs> like, you need friends. <laughs> Let me put this down before somebody gets hurt. Hey, you need friends, but is there anybody who can testify that friendships are hard? Yeah. Oh my gosh, they're so hard. First off, friends are hard to find. I was so jealous of my son. He goes into a playground, leaves with 10 friends in 10 minutes. <laughs> hey, is it just me or was it easier? Is it harder to make friends as an adult than it was when you were a kid? Yeah. And even if you can find friends, friends are not just hard to find. Friends are hard to filter because you might find somebody at the beginning stages of the relationship who seems like a good friend, but when you need them, you realize they were there to just take, never to give, but you don't find that out until something goes down. And so I told, I told Justice the other day, he was in, back when you could play in the playground at Chick-fil-A, he came out of the playground, the ball pit at Chick-fil-A, and he was like, that's my friend Tom. I'm like, that's not your friend. <laughs> He's like, yeah, he is. I'm like, you don't know Tom. He could be a drug dealer. <laughs> you don't know Tom. Uh, that's really, that's my hurt. It's just my hurt speaking through. Give, give it some time before you call him a friend. I don't know if they are friend or not. Friends are not just hard to find. Friends are not just hard to filter. Even if you can find ones that you filtered, how many people know that friends are hard to fit? In your life with everything you got going on? I had apologized to my best friend. His name's Charlie. And uh, I, I apologize because I'm just a bad friend. I'm so busy. And it's really been an excuse to not make time for the people in my life, but, but you can relate, right? With everything you got going on at work, with everything you got going on with your family, you're trying to do right, you're trying to you know, pay the bills. Friends are hard to fit sometimes in the craziness of our life. And finally, not only are friends hard to find, not only are friends hard to filter, not only are friends hard to fit, friendships are hard to finish. How many people know that the friends you have in kindergarten are not the friends you have today? That the friends you graduated college with are not the friends you, you, that were standing with you when you got married? Things happen. The average friendship lasts seven years. Things come and things go. And so this is going to be hard. But listen, I believe that friends are hard by design. The reason why friendships are hard by design is because in order for iron to sharpen iron, it's got to be hard. Listen to me. Friends, you, friends are hard because you need friends who can be with you in hard times. That's why friends are designed for hardships because they got to be there for the hard times. There's a, a woman who goes to our church who's a part of a small group. And they went around in the small group and they started talking about all the things that they went through in their life and all of the trauma and all the pain. And when it got to her, she was one of those people who, you know, in her 20s, already late 20s, you know, and, or, but her life has just been so blessed. She was just like, I'm sorry, I can't relate. I, I know it's my turn to share, but I don't got nothing to share because I've never been through anything like what you women have been through. She felt so bad about it. And everybody's like, no, praise God, that's awesome. God's just protected you. That's so great. And then a couple months later, she got pregnant. Everybody was excited. People in her group celebrated with her. And then a couple of months after she got pregnant, she lost the baby. This is a true story. This happened just last semester. And she called up all those women in her small group, all those women who had gone through something. And they were all there for her. And they prayed with her and they cried with her. And she later told us as a staff, she said, I want you to know what got me through this difficult season was my small group, were my friends. And glory to God, she's pregnant again. The baby is fine. And her small group is celebrating with her just like they cried with her. Do you have friends who can be with you in the hard times? This is what Ecclesiastes 4.10 says. If one falls, the other can help his friend get up. 
But how tragic it is for the one who is all alone when he falls, there's no one to help him. Get up. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to get in a small group if possible. If you can get in a small group, get on a team, okay? And I want you to just find one friend, just one friend. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to exchange phone numbers with that one person and, and check up on them on a regular basis. I don't think I've ever put a point like this, but it's so desperate in this season right now, we need to do this. Exchange a phone number regular and regularly check up on one another. How you doing? And when you check up on them, also do this. Listen, the reason why friendships are designed to be hard, it's not just because they're designed for hard times, but you also need people who can ask you the hard questions. Ooh, do you have anybody in your life who can ask you the hard questions? Hard questions like what? Go ahead, show them the first hard question. Have you been in a compromising situation this week? Is there anybody in your life who can ask you that? I notice you've been laughing a lot at the secretary's jokes. You know they're not that funny. <laughs> Have you been in a compromising situation? Why are you texting? Are you texting at 11 p.m.? Why are you texting at 11 p.m.? Have you been in a compromising situation this week? And some will be like, well, you know, I don't, know. I don't want friends like that. You know, that's what my pastor's for. I'm like, I can't preach like that. You'll never come back. <laughs> you need friends <laughs> who can say it. Next question. Have you handled your money with integrity? Next question. Have you viewed any sexually explicit material? So, but well, you know, it's Game of Thrones. Well, did you pause it before that part? It came up quick. Well, <laughs> next one. Have you spent quality time in Bible study and prayer. Such a good one. Checking on your spiritual life. Next one. Have you given priority time to your family? Come on, do you have a friend who's keeping you accountable to spend time with your kids, with your parents? When's the last time you called mom and dad? These friends. Next one. Have you fulfilled the mandate of your calling? Are you just going through life or are you living out your ministry? You know, you got a ministry. You know, those people in your life you're supposed to impact. And probably the most important question of all, the last one, have you just lied to me? <laughs> is there any question I asked you that you say no to, but the answer is yes? Now is your time to come true. You need a friend who is going to ask you the hard questions. Listen, I don't say this proudly, but I, I do say it with a little bit of, of, of just honesty. One thing you got to know about your pastor is your pastor got a lot of sin. Okay, it got real quiet right there. I mean, it's nothing crazy. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not getting drunk on Friday, like on Saturday night, getting ready for the message. You know what I'm saying? Getting amped up or anything like that. You know, like, I think you'd be proud, you know, of me. But here's, here's my next point. Although I might have a lot of sin, here's what you ought to be proud of. I've got zero secrets. Zero secrets. Everything that I struggle with in my life, I have a pastor who knows and my wife knows. Every single Thing. I got a friend who knows every single thing I struggle with. So I got sin, but I ain't got secrets. Do you have secrets? Or does at least one person in your life know everything about you and, and loves you enough to call you to a higher level of living? We need those that iron sharpens iron. And here's the last, and here's the last uh, a tool, the ladder. I'm going to tell you real quick what the ladder represents because we're running out of time. The ladder represents access. Access. Now, that might not seem like a big deal to you, access, but can you imagine construction without a ladder? You've seen how high the pyramids are. You've seen uh, how high buildings are on a regular basis. I mean, could you imagine a world with no ladder? 
A world with no ladder would just be men and women at the ground level, trying to understand this, looking up, saying, I wish I could get there, but I can't. Not in my own strength, not in my own power, not in my own ability, not without help. I can't reach that. But you have access. There's a, there's a ladder. Now, the crazy thing about ladder, even though it's super important when it comes to ancient construction, is there's only one time in the Bible with all of the, you can imagine, all of the books, 66 books, and all of the chapters, and all of the verses, there's only one verse in the Bible where the word ladder is found. And I want to read that to you right here. It's in Genesis chapter 28, and it's coming from this guy named Jacob. You just need to hear the backstory of Jacob really quickly, because Jacob was a man with a dream and a passion. His father prophesied something over his life. His father prophesied that he would become a great man, that he would be the father of many nations. His, his father prophesied that from him, not his brother Esau, but from him, that the, the future hope of the world, the Messiah, Jesus Christ would come. And so you got this young guy carrying all of this potential and promise, like, like you've got potential and promise and you want to accomplish things. But at the same time, he's a fugitive. His brother is stronger, smarter, faster. He's an archer. He can kill things with the bow. I can imagine Jacob leaving his tent every morning, just like, is this, the, is this the morning I get shot? Is this the morning? They shot people back then in the Bible. Is this the morning I get shot? He was so afraid that he actually left. He became a fugitive. He ran for his life. And so now you got this guy, just try and catch this, whose promise is not level with his circumstance. Yeah who's in a situation that doesn't align with what he thought God was going to do. He's essentially looking up to the proverbial roof mountaintop saying, I know that's where I got to go, where I want to go, but I can't get there on my own. It's that man who has a dream and he dreamed and behold, there was a, say it with me, ladder set up on the earth and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. Then Jacob woke up from his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. This is none other than the house of God. He didn't know it. And I don't want you to go another day without knowing it. You might have a big dream, but you also have a big God who will help you yeah. with that dream. It was there the whole time. The ability to reach, the ability to do the impossible. It was there the whole time, but he didn't know it. He didn't know he had access. He didn't know he had a ladder to the impossible, a ladder to the improbable, a ladder to the beautiful, to the fulfillment of the dream. He didn't know. Do you know that you've got a ladder? Oh, you don't know? Okay, one more Bible verse, one more Bible verse. John chapter 1 verse 51, Jesus is preaching and he says this, and Jesus said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Sound familiar? It was exactly Jacob's ladder. The reader or the listener at the time would have caught on to the illustration right away. What he was saying is, hey, you saw things going up and down from heaven. Prayers going up, blessings coming down. I came to tell you today that the ladder that Jacob dreamed about, I am that ladder. He wasn't building a cross. He was building 
a ladder. Maybe that's why he was a carpenter, because he was building something that can get you to a place. Oh my gosh, you will never understand a ladder until you can imagine a world without ladders, and you will never understand a relationship with God until you try and understand having one without Jesus. In the Old Testament, there was this place called the Holy of Holies, and it was where God's presence lived, but we could never go in there because we had this thing in our life called sin, and you had to bring a, a sacrifice, and sin was all of your bad mistakes. You had to bring an animal, and then you had to give that animal to the priest, and then that priest would sacrifice that animal, and then he would go into the holies of holies for you. You just got to understand this. We never had a relationship with God before Jesus. He was always far, and your prayers, well, you kind of hope they go up, but but something happened with that veil, with that covering for God's presence. It's like a whole thing. I could go into it, but when Jesus died on the cross, that veil that was covering that special place where God lived, it was ripped in half, the Bible says. It came crashing down, and it was a symbol that before you didn't, but now you have got access. The Bible says you can step boldly into the throne room of God. You don't got to go through a mediator. You don't got to go through a messenger. You don't got to go through a prophet. If you want an answer, you can go give it. You can ask God for that answer. If you want healing, you can ask God for that healing. You've got access. You don't got to go through the hoops. You don't got to wait till your number gets called. I'm trying to tell you, you've got access. If there's, any, if there's ever a place in your life you thought you couldn't reach it, you've got access. If there's ever a, a thing in your life you thought you could not accomplish with God's help, you've got access. You've got access. Now, if there's anything the devil ever told you that you couldn't do because you weren't good enough or, or you sinned too much or, or you got too many issues or you got too many problems, I came to tell you, you've got access that the devil is a liar, but Jesus is a ladder. Oh my God. I said the devil is a liar, but Jesus is a ladder. He will tell you you can't do it, but I got a ladder. He will tell you there's sin in your life, but I got a ladder. He will tell you you're addicted, but I got a ladder. I've been drinking my whole life, but I got a ladder. I was raped when I was younger, but I got a ladder. I don't got the money, but I got a ladder. I don't got the skills, but I got a ladder. I don't got the peace, but I got a ladder. I don't got the power, but I got a ladder. I got a ladder. I got a ladder. And his name is Jesus. And nothing is impossible. If you got a ladder, Jesus is that ladder. Would you stand on your feet as we close today? Because there are some people in this room, you see the ladder, but now it's time to climb the ladder. You don't really have a relationship with Jesus, but this is your moment. This is your moment to get up on there. And you only got to do two things to get up on this ladder. Number one, we got to trust that it'll hold you. Come on, am I the only person when I look at a ladder, I'm like, right? What am I trying to find out? Is this thing gonna collapse when I put my weight on it? I came to tell you, Jesus will never ever collapse on you. He will never ever fall under your weight. If he could carry the cross, he can carry you. He can carry you. So put your trust in him. The second thing you gotta do if you wanna climb the ladder, you gotta leave the ground behind. That old man, that old woman, that old life. Come on, we've been trying it for a while. I think it's time to turn the page to leave alone the old ways and pursue this new way with Jesus, to turn to him, give him everything. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're in this room today and you want to get on that ladder, you've been facing issues and troubles this whole season of your life. COVID has not been kind to you. You got access. There's a ladder. His name's Jesus. If you want to hop onto him, give him everything. Give him your weight. Come on, you're feeling it right now. The Holy Spirit 
says, God in this room is pressing on your heart. That's you. When I say three, I want you to shoot your right hand up to the sky. Jesus, I need you in my life. I need all of you in my life. Take everything. You, take, take it all, Lord God. I give it to you. That's you. When I say three, shoot your right hand up. One, forget about who's looking. Two, forget about who brought you to church or if you came here by yourself. This is between you and God. You've been on the ground for long enough. You got access. Come on. He's here for you. When I say three, just hop on that ladder by raising your right hand all over this room. One, two. Come on, you want Jesus in your heart. One, two, three right now. Shoot that right hand up high. Come on, high. I want to see it. Nobody's looking, but I see it. One, two, three, four, five, six. You got a whole family in the back giving their lives to Jesus. Seven, eight, nine. Come on, give God praise. Come on, nine, ten people. Eleven. Keep your head bowed, keep your eyes closed. I want you to repeat this prayer. Worship team, repeat this prayer after me. Father God, I'm tired of living on the ground. I got access, so I'm stepping on the ladder today. I give you my past, my old life, and today I pursue a new one with you. Change my heart, change my life. I receive you as my savior, and my Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Come on, give it up for the 11 people. We hope you've enjoyed this message, and we would love to hear your story and how this ministry is changing your life. Please email us at amen at journeyorl.com. And if you would like to support financially, you can give online at journeyorl.com give. If you're in the area, join us on Sunday for the full experience. Have a blessed week.